Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at core.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. I invite you to hear these words of scripture. Our passages today are from the Gospel of John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. That Easter evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and understanding of Scripture. More than three billion people claim to follow Jesus. But aside from a few verses, how many actually know what he taught? In fact, much of what people think Jesus taught, he never said. Jesus' message is not only life-changing, but world-changing. Join us as we study words that change the world, the message of Jesus. Over the last six weeks, we have been studying the words of Jesus, looking at his message. And, and today we're gonna look, as we talk about Easter, at what Jesus said, not what the apostles said, but what did Jesus say about his resurrection before his death and after his death? What did he say to the disciples on the first Easter? We're gonna be looking at these things, but let me remind you first how we got to Easter. So during Holy Week, Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding a donkey. He was hailed as perhaps the coming Messianic King. By Thursday of that week, he'd created quite a conflict with the religious leaders. And Thursday night after the Passover meal, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. He knew he would die and he prayed, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Later that night, the police from the temple, the temple guard in essence, came and they arrested Jesus. They took him for trial by night before the Jewish ruling council. And there he was found guilty of blasphemy. And then he was taken early the next morning to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And there he was tried on the charge of insurrection, that he was claiming to be a king over against Caesar. And he was beaten and he was mocked and he was sentenced to die. He was taken to Calvary where he was crucified. Crucified at nine in the morning, he died at three in the afternoon. They took his body down from the cross. They hastily prepared it for burial because it was nearing the Sabbath at sunset. And then they placed him in a borrowed tomb. They rolled the stone in front of the tomb and both Jesus' friends and his foes believed that was that for Jesus of Nazareth. That would be the end of the story, but that was definitely not the end of the story for Jesus of Nazareth. On Sunday morning, early in the morning, 
Uh, women went to the tomb, at least one, some gospels say four or five, went to the tomb and they found the stone had been rolled away. When they looked inside the tomb, they found the tomb was empty. They then heard from a young man dressed in white that Jesus of Nazareth was not there, that he'd been raised from the dead. They went and told the male disciples this who thought they were out of their minds. And then the male disciples came. They also saw, at least two of them, that the tomb was empty. They wondered exactly what had happened. They thought perhaps that somebody had stolen Jesus' body. Now, shortly after that, Jesus begins appearing to people. He appears to Mary Magdalene, to the other women. He appears to, to uh, Simon Peter at one point. He appears to a man named Cleopas, a disciple named Cleopas that, that we don't know of otherwise, and an unnamed friend. And then on Sunday evening, Easter evening, Jesus appeared to 10 of his disciples all at one time. After that, a week later, he appeared to uh, Thomas, what we know as Doubting Thomas. And then, and then later on, the apostle Paul says he appeared to as many as 500 people at one time. Jesus appeared and people began to believe, even though some doubted. It was hard to believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. That's the Easter story in a nutshell. But the question we ask every Easter is this, what does it mean? What does it mean for us today? I mean, even if we choose to believe it, and I think you have to choose to believe it, if you choose to believe it, then exactly what does it mean? I mean, we can't prove it to you. We can only say this is what the disciples said and this is what impacted people's lives and this is how it affects our lives. So we make a choice whether we believe this story or not. But what does it mean if we choose to believe it? And so I wanna unpack that with you today. I wanna to remind you at the Last Supper, and again this week, I read every single thing that Jesus said about his death and resurrection in all four gospels. And at the Last Supper in John's gospel, we read these words, Jesus having first told his disciples, one of you has betrayed me. And Simon Peter, you're going, to, you're going to deny knowing me and all the rest of you are going to desert me. And their hearts were deeply troubled when Jesus said once more, trying to get them to understand that he would be arrested and crucified. They still didn't fully get it, I don't think, but their hearts were troubled. And so Jesus said to them in John chapter, uh, chapter 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. You're probably familiar with those words. If you've ever been to a Christian funeral, you've probably heard them read. We share them with people as they're approaching death. We share them with family members. And then at the funeral service, we celebrate these words that Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. But he began by saying, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled by the idea that I am dying. I am your friend. And I know you believe I'm the king and I am the king, but I'm gonna die. And I don't want your hearts to be agitated, to be troubled. Instead, I want you to trust in me. Trust in me. That was a decision they had to make. I choose to trust in you, Jesus. I choose to trust your words. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love this. And then this is the part on Monday of this last week, I shared with a woman who's nearing death. In fact, she may not make it through the weekend. And I've been her pastor for 32 years. And I sat down next to her bedside and, and, uh, and I said, I wanna read a scripture to you. And this was the scripture I read. And then I said, I want you to notice something. Jesus said he goes to prepare a place for you and for all of us. And that in his father's house, there's room enough to spare. There's plenty of dwelling places. But I want you to notice he said, I will come back for you so that you might be with me where I am. He didn't say, I'll send the angels for you. He said, I'll come back for you. I said, I'm expecting, Beverly, that you're gonna hear Jesus whisper your name and you'll be welcomed home. And she said, I'm so ready to go. And she told me she was excited to see her husband who had died a number of years ago, whose funeral I preached here at Resurrection, and other family and friends who'd gone before her. Now, Easter means that we don't have to fear death. As Christians, we don't fear death. We believe that Christ has prepared a place for you, for us, and he will come back for us. And, and so we don't seek death, 
but we're also not afraid of it. When it happens, we know that death is not the end for us. That's what Jesus says in his resurrection. Death is not the end for us. I'm reminded of something that Jesus said to a woman whose brother had just died. One of Jesus' very good friends, his name is Lazarus. He just died. This is in John chapter 11. And Jesus turns to, uh, to Martha and says, Martha, I want you to know this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He has defeated death. He owns death and he has defeated it. You do not have to be afraid of this. Now, it's natural for us to feel sad about saying goodbye to our loved ones. And I don't wanna die anytime soon. I hope I live to a hundred, maybe, maybe older than that. If I still have my faculties and my body's in good shape, that'd be great. <clears throat> I'm not in a hurry to die. But at the same time, I choose to trust that the one who said, those who believe in me will never die, knew the truth, he spoke the truth, and because I trust that, what I find is peace. Jesus said this in Revelation 1.18, I love these words, he says, I hold the keys of death and the grave. That's a powerful statement. We share these words at every funeral service. Jesus has inoculated us from death. That is when we believe in him and we trust in him, he says, you can't die. You can physically, your body can physically die, but you cannot die. You will live when you have put your trust in me. Now, one very essential point, Easter is about Christ conquering death and the promise that because I live, you shall live also. So this is important. This is part of what we celebrate at Easter is Christ conquering the grave. Among the poems that I sometimes quote at the graveside services of people whose funerals I officiate is one by Natalie Sleeth called the Hymn of Promise. Now, you may be familiar with it. Uh, she dedicated it to her husband, Ron, who was a United Methodist pastor in Dallas, Texas. He also had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And this hymn, which was finally published just after his death, was sung at his funeral. This is the final stanza of the hymn. In our end is our beginning, in our time infinity. In our doubt, there is believing, in our life eternity. In our death, a resurrection, at the last, a victory, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. Over the last 34 years as a pastor, 32 years here and two years as an associate pastor, I spent a lot of time with people who were dying or had near-death experiences. I, I think of a man who had a brush with death. He came back to life. He'd had a heart attack and, and he was resuscitated. And he described for me, he came to my office. He said, you know, people would think I'm crazy if I, if I told them. But he said, you know, in that moment while I was there on the street, and this is right here, not far from the church, he said, uh, he said I, I woke up. And I was in a place where there were so many people I recognized and there was laughter, just joyous laughter. And I heard my father laughing and I went and I wrapped my arms around him and he whispered in my ear, you can't stay. And how I wanted to stay, this is what he told me. I had two different people tell me that they heard singing when they died for a moment or two, just a brief brush with death, but they heard singing, singing, joyous singing. I remember the story of a woman who was dying and just before she died, she asked her children, can you hear them? And they said, who, mom? You can't hear them? Can you hear them? Who, mom? And she named her deceased husband and her parents and other people who they'd known who'd died and gone to heaven. And, and they said, what are they saying? They said, they're calling my name. They're calling my name is what she told her daughters. How beautiful was that? A short while later, she passed. I think of a man I sat with as he looked around the room. He was in a wheelchair and, and we were sitting in his, in his living room and, uh, and he was nearing death. And, and he looked around the room and he said, can you see them? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't see anybody. Who, who are you seeing? And he named off his friends who died before and his family members who died before. And, and he said, they're all around me. And all of a sudden I had this feeling, a really intense feeling 
that I was in a very crowded room filled with people I couldn't see. It was beautiful. I've felt that several times in hospital rooms with people who were dying. I've known people who say things like this. They've said, you know, you know what? I don't really, I mean, I don't need heaven. I don't need to believe in an afterlife. I'm not afraid to die. It's, you know, I, I really, I don't need all that stuff that you Christians say you need. And I, I understand that. Like, I suppose, you know, first of all, I'm not afraid to die. Uh, I, I'm not looking forward to it anytime soon. I want to watch my granddaughter grow up, but I'm not afraid to die. But, but here's what I do think. And, and if this life is all there is, I'm really grateful for that. I mean, if that's how it turns out, I'm just going to be really grateful for every day that I had in this life. Of course, when I'm dead, I don't need to worry about being grateful if, if there's nothing more than this. But here's what I think. If Jesus was telling the truth and if the resurrection is true, I really like that story better. And wouldn't you? Yeah, I love how scripture talks about heaven as this banquet, as a wedding banquet. They describe it as a party, as a celebration, as a place where there's no more sorrow or suffering and pain, where we're reunited with those who've gone before us, where it's a great adventure. And I like that idea. If I had to choose between those two, I'd rather choose that Jesus was telling the truth and that the resurrection actually happened and that he's gone to prepare a place for us and will come back for us so that we might be with him where he was. I love the fact that Easter really is captured, the meaning of it is captured by something Isaiah the prophet said, it's quoted by the Apostle Paul when they both said, death has been swallowed up in victory. That's what Easter means when it comes to our personal survival after death. So the most powerful you know, personal impact of Easter is the fact that death has been defeated. And so when we lose a loved one, we grieve, but we grieve as people have hope that we might see them again one day. Right? And when we face our own mortality, we face that as people who know that Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. We choose to believe that. We choose to trust in that. We actually count on it. But Easter is more than just our personal survival after death. Easter is a dramatic pronouncement that Christ has defeated the powers of darkness. It's not just about death. It's also about evil and hate and sin and injustice and immorality and cruelty and inhumanity and all of these other things that grieve us when we live on this earth, watching them unfold. And sometimes we ourselves perpetuate. Christ has defeated the powers of darkness. That is the divine drama that's seen in Christ's death and resurrection. And as he's defeated the powers of darkness, he's defeated the power of evil and of sin. And because of that at Easter, we often say here at resurrection, and I want them to put the words on the screen. I want you to say with me, the worst thing is never the last thing. We believe that no matter how bad things may be on this earth, that they will not ultimately have the final word. They might for a season or a time, but evil doesn't have the final word. Christ has the victory. That's what we see in his cross and his resurrection is he has defeated the darkness. One of you reminded me last week in worship of a sermon that I preached 11 years ago. I had to look it up to see how long ago it was I preached it. And in that sermon, I had, uh, I had shared an analogy uh, from film uh, that paints a picture of what happened at the cross from a Christian perspective, at the cross and the resurrection. Now, the, the backstory, and I shared this 11 years ago, is Levon and I had been in Sweden and I was speaking to a group of United Methodist pastors and I was teaching them about leadership. I was with them for a few days. And then Levon and I had a couple of extra days before we came home. And just then, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows 2, the last of the Harry Potter films, had just come out. I had not seen any of the other films. I had not read any of the Harry Potter books. I knew the basic storyline, but hadn't really been engaged with the characters. But I thought, you know what? I'd like to see this very last one. And at the time, there was great debate among some Christians. Some Christians said that, you know, this was satanic and that it was, you know, sorcery and witchcraft and, and, and you know, had no place for Christians to see these things. And they didn't want the books in the schools. And, and, but then there were other Christians who said, no, wait a minute. 
you know, these stories are the classic stories of good and evil, the battle between good and evil. And Harry Potter is a Christ figure in, in many ways that he represents giving himself for other people. And, and so I thought, well, I'm just going to go and see for myself. And, and near the end of this film, part of what you find, and by the way, C.S. Lewis wrote, you know, books like this, and J.R. Tolkien wrote books like this, and there was wizardry and all of those, but they were all about the classic battle between good and evil and self-sacrifice and love and faithfulness and all of these other, other values and virtues. So anyway, near the end of that, of that film, uh, we find this battle going on. Of course, it's, it really permeates the entire film. Uh, between good and evil, we find Voldemort, Lord Voldemort, and he is the evil one. He, he represents this sort of demonic figure. And, and then, of course, we have Harry Potter, who represents the forces of good, and he's, he's sort of the hero of the, of the good wizards, and, and, and they confront one another. By the way, I, I want to mention this uh, as I go into this. The, the theater was packed out. It was jam-packed. And in Sweden, only 8% of the population goes to church. 62% claim that they're Christians, but only 8% go to church. So this was a largely non-religious group that I'm sitting with in the theater. And, and the, the movie was subtitled. I believe it was in English with uh, Swedish subtitles. And so as we're watching this, there comes this point where Harry Potter has gone before Lord Voldemort, the evil Voldemort, and he's going to offer his life. He's going to die in the hopes of saving or rescuing everyone else that's good. Here's the scene. Take a look. Harry Potter. The boy who lived. Come to die. And with that, Harry Potter apparently dies. And so evil has the upper hand. It appears for a moment that injustice and cruelty and inhumanity has had the final word. And I didn't know. I'd not, I'd not read the books. I thought, is this how it ends? And you could feel a pall over the entire theater. There were people crying in the theater when they watched this scene of a man, Harry Potter, who offers himself as a sacrifice in the hopes of being able to rescue his people. And yet the film goes on. And, and as it goes on, Voldemort, Lord Voldemort, shows up, the evil Voldemort, with, uh, with all of his minions, and they show up to, uh, to Hogwarts, which is where the good wizards and Harry Potter has lived. And, and they show up there, and they're carrying, they, they bring with them the body of Harry Potter. And, and they want them to see that he's dead, and there's no hope. There is no more hope for them. Their only hope is to surrender. And if they don't surrender, they're going to die. But I want you to see what happens next. Take a look. Harry Potter is dead! <laughs> yeah. And now is the time to declare yourself. Come forward and join us. Or die. This is the resurrection scene. 
and suddenly evil is defeated. And, and Harry Potter, when he rises from the grave, whether he was actually dead or only seeming to be dead, he'd been dead once before, all of a sudden the audience breaks out in applause. I mean, I'd never been in, been in a theater with anything like this. The entire audience begins to cheer and they're shouting and they're clapping and some are on their feet because Harry Potter lived. He died to rescue uh, his people and he lives and defeats evil in the process. And suddenly there's hope. I mean, you could feel it palpable in the room. And what struck me was in this audience of people who were largely non-religious, they had a deep need for the cross and the resurrection. They needed what our Christian story tells us. And Harry Potter is only loosely patterned after that story in the Deathly Hollows too. This is what we hope for. And this is the larger message of Easter, not just our own survival of death, but in Christ's resurrection, light defeated the darkness, goodness defeated evil. Life conquered death and love vanquished hate. All of that in Christ's resurrection from the grave. This is a very big story. Christ has the victory. That's what we see in this Harry Potter picture, just a glimpse of what Jesus is doing for us in the resurrection. This is why we can say that the worst thing is never the last thing. We're not just talking about our own personal survival. We're talking about in the scheme of our existence as human beings, whatever the worst thing is, it's not gonna have the final word. It is not the last thing. And there is always hope. We may not see it in the, in the moment and we may not see it in a week or a month or even a year, but in the end we know that life has conquered death and light has conquered darkness and love has conquered hate. Jesus ends the last supper in the gospel of John by saying, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is important. He's not saying because I've been raised from the dead, you're never gonna experience hardship anymore. No, he says, you're gonna have troubles, but I have already overcome the darkness. I've overcome the world. I've overcome evil already. Trust me in this. And that takes us to the first Easter. That evening, that Easter evening, finally, the disciples are together in one place. Well, at least 10 of them are. And as they're gathered in that place, listen once more to John 20, verses 19 through 21. While the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side where he'd been injured, where he'd been crucified. And, and when the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And once more in chapter 21, Jesus says the same thing to Thomas, who wasn't with them at the time. And a week later, he finally sees, uh, Thomas sees Jesus. And, and Thomas says, put your hand here on my hands and on my side. And then he says to him, peace be with you. That peace does not mean that we're not ever anxious. Doesn't mean that there aren't times that are frightening. Doesn't mean that things are not gonna be hard at times. But when we know that ultimately darkness has been defeated, then we have a peace underneath all of that other anxiety. We, when we remember, when we trust, when we put our trust in Christ, when we believe these things in the Easter story, and we don't not only believe them, but we count on them, we find his perfect peace in our lives. Evil, hate, sin, and death will not have the final word in our lives. This is why the apostle Peter can write these words, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Cast all your, in some translations, all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Now that leads me to one last point. Among the last things that Jesus said to his disciples on that Easter evening was this, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Now next week, our last sermon in the series is gonna be focused on what Jesus said at the very end, the very last thing he says, some, sometime after his uh, resurrection, 
he has one final conversation with his disciples, his, his mission conversation, his sending conversation about how we're to be his witnesses. You're gonna learn more about that next week. But this week, this text is the text that one is built upon. So once more, it says, as the Father sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Now listen, when we talk about this, we're talking about choosing to believe in Christ, choosing to believe the story. And when we choose to believe the story, we believe he's conquered death. He's conquered all of these things. But just as he came, Jesus is saying, now you go out and you live the resurrection for other people. That there is this mission involved when we believe this and we become the instruments God uses to defeat the darkness for someone else. We know ultimately Christ has defeated all of these things, but now we are his tools, his instruments in how we care for other people. We become a part of the resurrection story for someone else, for people living in darkness that they might see a great light. People who've experienced the, the hatred and, and vitriol and evil that come from the hands of other people and we come alongside them and help them. People who have been walking in places that are filled with hopelessness and despair and we come alongside to give hope. This is our task too, is we are to live as resurrection people. We are to do what Jesus has, has promised to do. What he's initiated, we continue and we complete in our own lives. So I wanna tell you a story that looks like this. It's just an illustration, an example of this, what the Easter story looks like lived out. How love defeats hate, light defeats darkness, goodness overcomes evil. So there's a young man that I know who spent his earliest and most formative years in foster care. Actually, he, for his first three years, he was in a home that was a very dysfunctional home and, and a lot of pain in, that early in those early childhood years for him and for his siblings. He had two older brothers and one little sister who was born, I think, when he was about three years old. When they were three, when he was three, they were taken out of their home and they were placed in foster care. And foster care was supposed to be a place that was safe and where they would feel loved, where they would have what they didn't have when they were in their own home. But there are some people who are in foster care, many who are in foster care because they feel called to give love to children. But there are some people who move into foster care because it's a paycheck. And especially with four little children, that might be a sizable paycheck. And so this family took these four children in and he described for me in a conversation this week what it was like when he was, I think he was about five years old. And he said he and his littlest sister, who by that time was maybe two years old, that, that their parents forced them into the basement in the darkness and locked the door and left them there for the night. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be for a five-year-old and a two-year-old to be locked in the basement without any light? They'd, they'd uh, come to dinner time sometimes and they weren't sure if they were gonna have dinner or not. There were times they just weren't fed. And then he, he said he remembered a time when he was little, when his parents, his foster parents were angry and they said that he and his little sister were to spend the night by themselves in the darkness in the park across the street. Can you imagine this for a five-year-old and a two-year-old child? So he said, finally, they were taken out of that home and they were placed in another home. The woman's name was Jill. And, and he said, finally, it was like, this is what it was supposed to be like. And she just loved us for three months. We were in her home and she just loved us. And it was clear that she felt called by God to do this. And I could only hear the, you know, the words in my mind. I wondered if she heard them too. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Is that what happened with Jill? And after three months, there was a family who, who felt called to adopt four children. They'd already raised their own three children. They felt called to adopt four children and they took them, took them into their home. And suddenly at the age of six, he said, I, I had this loving family I'd never imagined was even possible. And maybe that story sounds a little familiar to you because, because uh, this young man was on The Voice two years ago in the spring of 2021, the 20th season of the show. And here's a little bit of his story as it was told on The Voice. Take a listen. When I think back on me as a child, I am so proud of myself for coming this far. When I was three years old, I was placed into the foster care system. 
with my siblings. It was a sad experience, but that is just the foster care system. It's not the best place to grow up in. Some of the homes were great, and a few of them, there was no love. It's hard to grow up and be like, am I going to eat tonight? Luckily, my siblings and I were kept together. And when I was six years old, we were adopted by the most amazing family ever. We had three wonderful kids, and Shelly had said, well, we need to help somebody else. We looked on the computer, and um, there was this picture of all four of them. Okay. And Jim said, that's our kids, and that was it. <laughs> My family showed me so much love, but I struggled. In high school, I hit the point where my self-esteem was so low. And even though my parents were super loving, I just couldn't trust it. And so in the middle of the night, I just packed my bags and I just started walking. The moment I realized he had left, I panicked. We put up posters everywhere and it was awful for 10 days. I saw this poster and I just remember just dropping to the floor and I was just like sobbing. I dialed my mom's number and I was like, mom, it's me. And she just broke down. We were just so happy. I do want to clarify that we did love you, every inch of you, <laughs> from the beginning. And I know that now. You're one of the biggest joys in our life. We love you a lot. Love you guys too. That's what the resurrection looks like, a resurrection faith lived out. When we remember as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sent us. By the way, I really do hope you'll go online and Google search for Zay Romeo on The Voice in 2021. You're gonna see the moment when all four of those chairs spun around as they were listening to him sing. The guy has an amazing voice and an amazing talent. And he could have done anything. He could have gone into a recording career. He could have you know, done a million things. You know what he's doing today? He's working in youth ministry, mentoring teenagers, developing their faith, helping them to know that they're loved. And he leads worship with the youth band and with part of our band here at Church of the Resurrection. He's on our staff here at Resurrection, an amazing guy. And I just wanted you to know his story of what it looks like to live as resurrection people. His parents did it, Jill did it, his foster mother, and he's doing it. I'm wondering, how are you doing? Every year at Easter, we try to give you an opportunity to think about how you can serve other people, how you can bring resurrection, you can bring light and hope and joy and life to people who have not had it. And so each year, the first portion of our Easter offering goes to benefit people who are walking in darkness. This year, $200,000 is gonna be going, the first $200,000 from our offering is gonna be going to benefit children who are in foster care, foster care families, foster care organizations, organizations that help teenagers who have aged out of foster care. We're gonna be helping to create a emergency shelter for teenagers who have aged out of foster care. We're gonna be providing vocational training. We're gonna be working with organizations to be able to provide basic needs, necessities of food and clothing and whatever else is needed. And we're gonna be working to raise up more foster care parents who feel called not for a paycheck, but called because Jesus called them to bring light to people walking in dark places, to bring love to people who have only known hate or evil. Maybe that's you. We're gonna be looking to see how can we raise up more uh, parents who would be adoptive parents for kids, like Zay's kid, like Zay's parents. And so you'll find at core.org slash next information on how you can uh, find out more. We have a seminar coming up or, or an opportunity for more information coming up. Go to core.org slash next. You can find out, find out more. And in a few moments when we receive the offering, I hope you might consider being a part of bringing light and life and love and joy 
to kids who are walking in dark places. All right. So with all of that, I thought you might actually enjoy having a chance to hear Zay sing. So I asked him, Zay, do you have any song that, that you feel like might be a great song for this Easter service? You know, just, just a portion of it. We don't have time for the whole thing, but maybe a couple minutes. And he said, you know, I was asked to sing for some foster kids recently. And he said, uh, he said I was asked to sing from Dear Evan Hansen, a song that I think might just work. And when I listened to the words, I knew the song. I actually thought it was a gospel song. Here's Zay Romeo. the last 30 years, a little over 30 years, every Easter sermon I've ended the same way. Some of you remember these words. You know, people ask me, and this really happens. People ask me, come on, you don't really believe this stuff. You're a smart guy. You really believe that Jesus died. He was put in the tomb. And, and on the third day, on Sunday, he walked out of the tomb. Come on, physiologically, that's not even possible. You, you surely don't believe this. And, and, and you don't really believe, do you, that we die and that there's a place we go to where everything's happy and where there's joy and no more sorrow and pain, where we're reunited with family and friends? Come on, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? And my answer is always the same. I not only believe it, I'm counting on it. I choose to believe it and I choose to count on it. And when I do, what I find is joy and peace and light and life and hope. And my hope is, that you'll count on it too. Would you pray with me? Once you just whisper these words under your breath, Jesus, I choose to believe. I choose to believe that you conquered death, that you triumphed over evil, hate, sin. I choose to believe that you died for me 
to show me your love, to offer me grace, to make me your own. Today, Jesus, I choose to believe and to put my trust in you. Thank you for loving me. In your holy name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.